Welcome to another life-changing message. Today, I want us to look at the book of uh, Luke chapter 17. And I want to minister to you and I want to speak on two things. I want to speak on uh, having an attitude of gratitude. Uh, but I'm also going to uh, pull something out in Luke 17, I believe, that is a key for us to have clarity and understand uh, our position and who we are and what Christ has accomplished for us. Uh, Luke, chapter, Luke chapter 17, I'm reading from verse 11. But before I read there, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 1, Paul speaks and Paul says, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, Paul says, and I'm going to, I'm going to work uh, with my brother here on the PC because I'm going to teach like I teach at home where I will look at the scriptures and will let the scriptures speak for itself. Uh, you don't have to try and twist the scriptures. The scriptures are clear enough uh, to, to bring clarity to itself. So that's what I'm going to do. But in 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, the Bible says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. So I specifically want to look at where Paul says, in the last days, people will be ungrateful, or even the word unthankful. Um, so I read in the book of Luke chapter uh, 17 from verse 11. The Bible say, now it happened as he went, speaking of Jesus, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went... They were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorify God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Now I want you to note that when the Bible gives us places or the Bible gives us geographical areas, and the Bible gives us ethnicities, and the Bible tells us what ethnic group the person was. It is not just for the sake of giving us, because that gives you context. Remember, Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and he passed through, uh, the Bible says, Samaria and Galilee. So you have to understand then also what the dynamics you had for years uh, with the uh, Jews and the Gentiles, and you have uh, this uh, going back and forth of these two different ethnic groups where you always had these rivalries between the two of them. And uh, you remember in John chapter 4, the Bible saying Jesus needs to go through Samaria. Jews never go through Samaria. Because Samaria, Samaria, Samaritans were half-breeds. They were not worthy enough to fall in the Jewish cluster. And so here you find that Jesus now is in a context where he's on his way to Jerusalem and he passes by the midst of Samaria and Galilee. You find 10 lepers come to him, one turned back, and the text says the one who returned back was a Samaritan, which then means the other nine were Jews. 
Just that right there tells you that there's a distinction between him and the other nine. But you must understand that all ten were hanging together in this state of leprosy. Because once God reveals you in your human state, we are all equal. <laughs> the Jew cannot say I'm a better sinner than the Gentile. <laughs> we're all sinners and we all need Jesus equally. And so now just see what happens. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found who return to give glory to God except this foreigner? <laughs> so first of all, he was a Samaritan. Secondly, he was a foreigner, which means the other nine were Jews and they were not foreigners. They were part of the fold of Israel. Are you still with me? And the Bible say, and he said to him, arise. Go your way, your faith has made you whole. Uh, some translations say well, some translations say whole. Let me just read something uh, to you on a lighter note that deals with the issue of ungratefulness or unthankfulness. A large dog walks into a butcher shop carrying a purse in his mouth. He puts the purse down and sits in front of the meat case. What is it, boy? The butcher jokingly asks. Want to buy some meat? Woof, barks the dog. Hmm, says the butcher. What kind? Liver, bacon, steak? Woof, interrupted the dog. And how much steak? Half a pound, one pound? Woof. The amazed butcher wrapped up the meat and find the money in the dog's purse. As the dog leaves, he decided to follow the dog. The dog enters an apartment house, climbed to the third floor, and began to scratch on the door. With that, the door swing open, and an angry man starts shouting at the dog. Stop, yells the butcher. He's the most intelligent animal I've ever seen. Intelligent, says the man. This is the third time this week he forgot his keys. <laughs> Ungratefulness is something that it doesn't matter how hard you try, the recipient will always find fault. Now, I'm not a dog lover, but a dog like that can sit at the table with me and he can sleep in my bed. The devil is a liar. <laughs> And so we find that people that are ungrateful or unthankful, they are people that are always complaining. They are never satisfied. Even if you try your best for them, they will find fault. Even if you do 10 good things and you fail in one of them, they focus on the one and leave the nine. There's nothing you can do to satisfy them because they are unthankful. But unthankfulness or ungratefulness also hinges many times on entitlement. Because if you feel that you are entitled, then why must I say thank you? It belongs to me anyhow. It means I deserve this. You never say thank you for something you deserve. 
You only say thank you for something when you feel you don't deserve it and you say thank you for it. But if you feel that it is mine anyhow, then you don't say thank you when you receive it because entitlement makes you ungrateful. You know your children when you try and work hard and give them new Nikes or new shoes or a new cell phone and you come and you are happy you can be a blessing to them and they say, I didn't want this one, I wanted the latest one that is still coming out in a year's time. <laughs> and you know how entitlement makes them feel. Sometimes you have to say to them, say thank you. Because they feel they are entitled. I said to my ones, if I've given you water with peanut butter and jelly and bread, I have done my dues. Everything above that is a blessing. <laughs> but in the text we have read, the Bible say that 10 lepers came to Jesus. The Bible first tells us they were standing afar off. There's a reason why they were standing afar off. But then the Bible says that they call and ask Jesus to heal them. Jesus told them, go show yourself to the priest. Now that is significant because in the Bible times, it was the priest that must confirm whether you are still valid to live in community or whether you must be abandoned outside the city. Leprosy was a sickness that started with small spots, but as it escalates, it begins to eat off your limbs. So your fingers will go, your toes will go, your ears will go. When leprosy at its highest states, it will eat off your limbs. So we find then that they were standing afar off because they could not mix with the community. Then Jesus said to them when they asked him to heal them, Go show yourself to the priest. So in essence, it was the religious leader that disqualifies you. And now the religious leader must validate you. <laughs> Isn't it strange that it was the priest that abandoned them with their leprosy. But when they encountered Jesus, everything changed. Because Jesus did not focus on their condition. But Jesus will establish you in your position. When your position change, your condition change. But if you focus on your condition, you cannot change your condition by focusing on your condition. You can only change your condition when you establish who you are in your position. So when the preacher always tells you what's wrong with you, you will never change. But if the preacher tells you that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, you have been made holy, you are victorious, only when you know who you are can you be. Why do church people struggle with sin and struggle with holy living? It's because they don't know that they have been made right with God by their faith. Once I know I am righteous, holiness becomes effortless. Because holiness, it's not something I can achieve through my effort. If I was able to make myself holy by making my dress longer, by keeping my hair covered, by not wearing this or that, by not going here or there, then I don't need Jesus. Holiness, according to the Bible, is not your holiness, it is His holiness. Because when He makes you righteous, that righteousness that you live out becomes holiness. And so here we find that the Bible says 
that the nine, the ten, as they went, they saw they were cleansed, the Bible says. Then the text say that one turned back, the other nine kept going. The question then is, why did the one return and the other nine kept going? The nine, if they were Jews, according to the text, and the one was a Gentile, according to the text, then the nine had the law, and maybe they felt entitled to healing because they had the law. The one did not have the law, he only had faith. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So because he did, he had no point of reference to refer to the law, because the law always reverts to your works, and then the law makes you to feel that you deserve something from God. Let me prove it to you in the Bible. Because if they were Jews and they had the law, they kept going because they felt that they were the chosen people. They felt what they were better than the Gentile because the Gentiles were called pigs and dogs by the Jews. So he needs to go back and say thank you. But we have this as an entitled blessing, so we don't have to say thank you. You see, the moment you feel entitled, you become ungrateful. But look what happened here. He went back to Jesus, the one. He said thank you to Jesus, and he glorified Jesus. Jesus now said to him, your faith has made you whole. There's a difference between being healed and being made whole. Which means that thankfulness allowed the perpetual blessing and flow of God to flow into your life without you asking for anything but just to be thankful. Let me put it this way to you. The nine that kept going, the leprosy stopped. They were cleansed. But who knows if their limbs were grown back? Who knows if their toes were grown back? But when Jesus said to this man, your faith has made you whole. It's the word salvation that means soteriology. It means wholeness in every form of your life. I believe that his fingers grow back. His toes grew back. I believe his ears grew back because everything he lost through the sickness was restored. Oh, there's something about being grateful because even in the natural, you more frequently give to someone that shows gratefulness than someone that shows ungratefulness. Have you ever done something to someone and gave them something that meant a lot to you and they didn't even say thank you? And then you say in the back of your mind, Come and talk to me now. You say in the back of your mind, this is the last time. 
that person will get something from me because she didn't even send me a thank you note. There's something about thank you that keeps your heart open to keep blessing the person. But here we find that him coming back and say thank you, the perpetual blessing of God kept flowing into his life. It's the same story. Remember the woman who had the issue of blood. If you take the word again, salvation, soteriology, it means wholeness in every aspect of your life salvation is not just about getting you to heaven quick because if you were safe for heaven let us shoot you now and go <laughs> christianity is 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 confusing we testify about oh heaven is so beautiful we're gonna walk on streets of gold oh we're gonna be in the presence of jesus and when you get a cold you phone the pastor Pray for me, I don't want to die. I thought heaven is so nice. Say, pastor, pray for me that I will move on to a better life. <laughs> I got a long way to go with you on this. Just stay with me. So, so look what happens here now. The woman who had the issue of blood, remembers he said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. Remember that Jesus as a priest under the old covenant was not supposed to be touched by a woman that was flowing or that were menstruating. A priest could not touch a dead body. He could not touch a woman that was menstruating. It will make him unclean. This woman heard about Jesus and she said that if he is the real deal, and I touch him with my issue. My issue will not affect him, but he will affect my issue. Because under the law, you were contaminated if you touch something unclean. But under grace, when you touch something unclean, you contaminate that thing with the grace of God and the goodness of God. Under the law, you can touch the sinner and the sinner will be changed and you will not be affected. So look what happens here now. I'm going to shift for a moment. But see what happens here now. Leprosy was such an intense disease. that in Luke chapter 4 verse 27, when Jesus started his earthly ministry, remember in Luke 4.18, Jesus walks into the temple and he opened the scroll in the book of Isaiah where the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Jesus came to give good news. If a preacher preaches to you and you feel bad, then he's not giving you good news. Because good news cannot make you feel bad. If I tell you you've just won 20 million on the lotto. Are you going to fall into depression and have a heart attack and die and stay in bed for the next six years? No. If I tell you if this was good news, you are going to jump and jive and take the first flight to Vegas. And when you talk to me now, you know what I say. And you'll text the whole church, whatever happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas. So, so the Bible say in the book of, 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 of Luke 4 verse 27, Luke 4 verse 27 to see what the Bible say. And I want you to show the intensity of what Jesus is doing here. Because Jesus says, 
Verily, verily, I say unto you. Now, if you look at the text, if you follow the text of the Bible, say, after Jesus sat down in the temple and Jesus now, the whole eyes of the temple was upon him. Jesus said to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your very ears. Then the Bible say, everyone in the temple loved him. And everyone in the temple spoke well of him. Then Jesus burst the bubble and Jesus say, uh, just go one verse higher, go verse two to verse 26. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to, the Zer, to, the, to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a, a widow. So Jesus now say to them that there were many struggling women in the day of Israel, but only one received a miracle. A widow from Zarephath who was a non-Jew. You must notice he was a non-Jew. Then Jesus says in verse 27, look what he says. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman, who was a Syrian, who was a non-Jew. So here you find that in the whole of the Old Testament, while the Jews had the law, no one was healed from leprosy and no one received a miracle of an overflowing basket except two Gentiles. Look what the Bible says further. What happens now? Because before this, they praised him, they loved him, they spoke well of him. So all of those in the synagogue, when they heard these words, were filled with wrath. Why? Read further, read further. Hey, he says, and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to a bro of the hill on which they, the city built, that they might throw him down. What just happened here? From where everyone loved him, everyone spoke well of him, where they want to kill him. He just said to them that in the whole of Israel, no person who had the law was healed from leprosy and no person who received a miracle with an overflowing basket was a Jew. He says there were, there, the law was in Israel, but the faith worked for the Gentiles. <laughs> and because he said that, they wanted to kill him. Because he was insulting their religious system. Because the law cannot bring healing. The law cannot bring deliverance. The law cannot redeem you. The law cannot save you. The law cannot make you holy. The law cannot make you righteous. Only grace can. Okay, some of you still don't believe me. I'm going to show you. What the texts are saying because the severity of leprosy and here 10 lepers encountered Jesus and in one day 10 got healed. What is the, the dichotomy or the, or, the, or the difference between law and grace? The law has no power but the power of Jesus Christ through grace and faith is able to resurrect. But let me show you something. In the book of Luke chapter 7, go for me to Luke chapter 7, you find that when you operate by the law, you always approach God on an entitlement basis. You don't approach God based on your faith. I'm going to show you what happened in the scripture. It's very clear. Uh, look, sorry, uh, um, Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read from verse 1. I want to show you this before I get into the issue of foreigner and stranger. The Bible say, now when he concluded... 
all his sayings in the, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Keep going. And a certain centurion servant, he actually just spoke about that. A certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So the servant, the centurion now had a servant that is busy dying. Now, the centurion was a non-Jew. He was a Gentile. And you're going to see on what basis he approached Jesus. But because he's a non-Jew, he's thinking, let me send the religious people to approach Jesus on my behalf. Biggest mistake you can make. See what happens here. So he said to himself, these religious guys, I almost said religious fools, but uh, you cannot call any man a fool. I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> these religious guys are now going to approach Jesus on behalf of this centurion man who is a non-Jew who do not have the law. Right? So see what happens here. And a certain centurion now. So when he heard about Jesus, how did the centurion get to know about Jesus? He heard about Jesus. And faith comes by what? Faith comes by what? So what did the centurion man have? He had faith. What did the Jews have with the law? No faith. So see what happens here now. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. So he's sending the religious freaks now to go and approach Jesus. The Bible says verse 4, And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly saying, that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. <laughs> you, see, you see, that's the law that. No, no, I'm going to show you why he was deserving. Because this is one of the biggest, the biggest flaws or the biggest theological errors the church are operating in. Let me show you this. They say he was deserving, right? On what basis? For he loves our nation. Oh, he prays for Israel every day, so he must be blessed. That, that's, that, that's the trick the church has fallen into. And I'm going to show you today that under the new covenant, the Jew is not superior to the Gentile. The Jew is not superior to anyone because in Christ we have been made equal. And the problem with the church is we pray for the Jew to be blessed, for Israel to be blessed, but we live in utmost poverty and struggle because we don't believe that the blessing as Abram are equally our blessing. The same blessing that's on the Jew is even the more upon us in Christ. We are totally whopped. I'm going to show it to you. I, must, I need to take my time because I, I, I want you to see it. I want you to see this. He says, for he loves our nation Israel and he makes planes full to take them back. Uh, anyhow, and has built, now I'm, I'm still reading, I'm still reading, I'm still reading. And has built for us a synagogue, a temple. Can you see now they are now using the man's works? To get healing for the servant from Jesus. Which means that they first of all say he deserved because of what he has done. And he's entitled because he loves the Jews. Look at the text. Keep going. Keep going. Look what he says. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house. The centurion sent friends to him. Saying to him, Lord do not trouble yourself. For I'm not worthy. That you should enter in my house. Now, I understand many people, and he also brought the issue of authority. But if you read the text and work through the text, first of all, he heard about Jesus. He had faith. Then secondly, you see that he say, I am not deserving. 
The only people that qualify to receive under grace are those who do not deserve it. Because grace is unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. If you deserve it, you don't qualify for it. Oh, I love this because grace goes for the outcast. Grace goes for the marginalized. Grace goes for the one that everyone thinks he or she means nothing. Grace goes to the one that being neglected or overlooked because grace always goes for the one that do not deserve it. Then Jesus went with him, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent a friend, and he says, For I am a man of authority, uh, should enter, and uh, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Okay, so now, total different sound. The Jewish sound under the law is, he deserves it. The Jewish sound is, you must do it for him, because of what he has done. Now he comes as a Gentile who do not have the law, who do not feel entitled, who do not feel deserving. And he says, Lord, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. Just speak the word. Let me show you something here. The Bible now says, therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. Keep going, keep going. For I also am a man placed under authority, having shoulders under me, and I say to the one go, and I say to the one goes, and he another, and come, and another he comes, uh, and, and to my servants. Do this, and they do it. Next verse. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around to the religious freaks. And he says to them, I say to you, I have not found such great faith in the whole of Israel. One Gentile man's faith, if there's a word like that, one Gentile man's faith outfaith the whole of Israel. That's what Jesus is saying. I have not seen this kind of faith even in the whole of Israel because the Bible says the law is not a faith. Because the law appeals to your flesh. Do you know why many people do not receive anything from God even though they come into understanding that God loves them unconditionally? It's because they come to God based on what they have done. And they say, Lord, now you know I used to only come three Sundays to church, but for the last six months, I've been coming every Sunday. And so, Lord, you must heal me or you must give me that breakthrough because now you are basing what you want from God based on what you brought to the table. And the moment you put yourself into equation, you disqualify because whatever you need from Christ is based on your faith and your faith alone in what he has done 2,000 years ago. And now someone comes and testify and they testify how God promoted them at their workplace and the new car is standing outside and they're moving now from Brooklyn to 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 to, to Long Island uh, with the fairy <laughs> the devil is a liar you know what I'm saying and the person is testifying and you sit there and you say but she's not as faithful as me she comes only once a month how can God bless her that's supposed to be my blessing because I deserve to be blessed because I am faithful 
you have just disqualified yourself because God does not bless you under grace based on what you do or do not do. He bless you only on the basis of your faith. You see, your Christianity is warped. If you say to yourself, uh, there are people when they want something from God, they, they make themselves nice. They pray, they pray longer. They walk careful. They don't pick a fight. They, so even the family say, what's going on with him? No, he wants something from God. So he's at his best behavior. And then you are, you, you are, you are one week into your best behavior and you lose it. And oh, you must start all over again to get that thing from God. Listen, God doesn't want to bless you as a child based on what you do or do not do. He has already blessed you in Jesus Christ unconditionally. You know, the gospel that they preach out there doesn't make sense. They say, if you want God to bless you with a car, you must sow a seed for a car. Now, if my son comes to me and say, Daddy, can I have a bicycle? And I say to him, before I bless you with a bicycle, you must give me a $2 seat, a $200 seat. The devil is a liar. It doesn't work like that. Just as I will give my son the bicycle on the basis that I am his father, I am the provider, I'm his protector, I'm his supplier, without he giving me anything. So God wants to bless you without you doing nothing. Because under grace, when you give, you give because you love God with no strings attached to it. You imagine I say to my son before, and my son is still at school, he doesn't have any income. But before I buy you the bicycle, you must sow a $200 seed into my life so that I can bless you. How foolish does it sound? Do I still have time? Do I still have time? Because I haven't started yet. I still have time. Right. Let's just see. Let's just see this. And those who were sent returned to the house, found the servant well who had been sick, without anything, just believing. Jesus says, I have not seen this kind of faith in the whole of Jerusalem. And Jesus activated the healing just like that without trying to pull any punches. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But this is what I want to say to you. The myth we have is that we as Gentiles are an afterthought in the mind of God. We have this notion, as the Bible says, John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, I came to my own, which is Israel, and my own did not receive me. And when they rejected him, he says, let me turn to these ugly Gentiles and see if they will have time for me. That's how we interpret the scripture. We think that we are an afterthought in the mind of God and that God, we were never on God's mind. Yo, no, that is not the truth because take me to Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Let me show you that you and I were there from the beginning. Let me show you, stay with me, stay with me. I'm going to break this myth today. 
I'm going to break this myth today of, of where we believe that the Jew under the new covenant is superior to us. And if I, I mean, many people believe that. And if I pray regularly for Israel, God will bless me. No, God does not bless me based on I build a synagogue for the Jews or I love the Jews. God bless me on the basis that I put my faith in the finished work of Calvary that he completed 2,000 years ago. And whether I pray for the Jew or don't pray for the Jew, I'm still blessed in Jesus. I do not pray for the Jew more than I pray for the Palestine. I pray for both equally. I'm going to show you the scripture today and liberate you from this nonsense. Take me to Genesis chapter 12. Let me just show you something. The Bible said to Abram, now the Lord God said to Abram, leave your family, leave your father's house and go to a place that I will show you. Genesis 12, can you find it or oh, it's okay. He says, I will bless you. I will make you a great name. I'll make you a great nation, right? Go, go to verse two, go to verse two, go to verse two. Just work with us. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. He says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What does all mean? Who is excluded from all? So if we say to Abram, Abram, I'll start with you, but then through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then the question is, who was first on God's mind? The nations or Abram? Because whatever God starts with first, what not on his mind, because the Bible says God makes known the end at the beginning. So the nations was on God's mind first, then God backed off and started with Abram. It is absurd to think that because you are elected, you are elite. Can I show you something? If I live in a family of 10 people and God saved me first, does that make me better than them? It makes me responsible because I am elected. I am now responsible to make sure that I give the good news to them and that they come to believe in the same Jesus I believe in. But I cannot say because I am here first, I'm superior. Do you know why the Jews never fulfilled the Great Commission? Because in Genesis 12, he say that. He said Genesis 15, he goes 17, 20. He say it to Abraham, he say it to Isaac. He say, you will be a blessing to the nations. You see in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they stayed in Jerusalem, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. In chapter 9 and chapter, chapter, chapter 8, the Bible said, God allowed persecution to come among the church in Jerusalem. And the whole church was scattered except the apostles. So they didn't want to go to the Gentiles because if you see yourself superior to the people you must go to then why must I waste my time with these pigs and dogs that's what they called us that's why in, in, in Acts chapter 10 when Peter fell in a trance and the sheet came from heaven with all kinds of four-footed animals on that sheet was a pig that looks like this and oh there's no better meat than pig meat I thank God I'm not a Jew I thank God I'm not a Muslim I thank God I'm redeemed Just jerk it, I'll eat it. And even if there's a devil in there, I cast the devil out of it. Because some people don't want to eat pork because they say that the demons went into the pork. But then the pigs went into the water. So you can't drink water either. 
I live 21 years among the Khorsas in a rural context and they have their own livestock. They slaughter their own stuff. I would say from the pulpit, when I have a taste for a nice piece of pork rib and some nice pork feet, I will just say to the congregation, any pigs in the village that needs deliverance, I'll pray and cast the devil out, bring them and then we eat them. Okay, look at this, look at this. The Bible says, Acts chapter 10, when, 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 the, when the voice said to Peter, kill and eat, Peter said, how can I eat anything unclean? Peter didn't even understand. It was not about the pig. It was about the Gentiles. Because remember, they called the Gentiles pigs and dogs. And so the voice said from heaven, do not call unclean what I have redeemed through my son. So the pig on the thing was the Gentiles that received redemption through the cross. But because Peter believed he was superior, they stayed in Jerusalem. So you had this rivalry that has been going on for years. So now the Bible say that we are blessed through Abram. So you and I feature from the beginning. We were on God's mind from the beginning and we were part of the Abrahamic covenant. But let me say this as I will show you in a moment. The Abrahamic covenant was never annulled. When the Jews were given the Mosaic covenant, it was an interim covenant. But the Abrahamic covenant was put on the shelf that whenever a Gentile encountered Jesus by faith, he had to go to the Abrahamic covenant and bless the Gentile. You remember the woman who had the child that was waxed with demons? She came to Jesus and said, Lord, my child is vexed with demons. Jesus said to her, I can not take the children's bread the Jews and give it to the dogs the Gentiles and the woman say Lord but even the puppies eat from the crumbs that falls from the table and Jesus again say woman your faith has given you your blessing because she was not a Jew she was a Gentile but because faith has no limitations Remember I said this to you before, Jesus called the woman a dog. It was the lingo of the day because the woman understood as a Gentile, she was a dog relating to the Jews. So Jesus said to her, you ask for something that is outside of your season. I first had to go to the cross in order to bring you the blessing. But the, but the, but the covenant of Abram was still on the shelf. So Jesus could go with faith to the covenant of Abram and bring blessing to her. And the Jews today are mad at us. They say we have to keep the law for thousands of years. And you Gentiles by faith stumble into salvation so easily. We say yes. And the Jews are mad at us because the Jews are asking who let the dogs out. Because in the text, it was the woman and the child that sat under the table and it was the Jews with the law that sat at the table but after Jesus went to the cross he gave us the Lord's table and every time we come to the Lord's table the Jews are saying who let the dogs out because the dogs are now sitting at the table and they're eating the body of Christ and they're drinking the blood of Christ the Gentiles has been delivered Take me to Galatians chapter 3 very quickly. I must still get to what I want to say. Galatians 3 very quickly. Galatians 3. Take me from verse 6. Let me show you something. I mean, it is powerful. When you, when you understand the text through grace, through the splitting of the covenants, 
and you understand how to have your theology's foundation properly set. Look at this. Just as Abram believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So his faith made him right with God. Keep, keep going. Keep going. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abram. And the Jews are not even of faith. They are still of the law. We have a better advantage above them when it comes to the blessing of Abram. Stay with me. Keep going. Keep going. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the pigs and the dogs by faith. The Gentiles. The scripture foreseeing that God will justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel to Abram beforehand. <laughs> Justification by faith in Genesis 12 was already the gospel. <laughs> Look what he says. Saying in you all the nations, the families of the earth shall be blessed. Next verse. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abram. Next verse. For as many as, of the, as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, curse is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So now he is saying that if you want to live by the law, you can, but you have to keep the 613 of them. And the law works like this, that if you fail in one of them, you are judged for all of them. So if you want to live by the law, don't just live by two or three commandments. You have to live by 613 of them. Sounds like a bad deal to me. Why does the church love the law so much? The law cannot save you. The law cannot free you. In fact, this is, this is a known fact. Because remember, I'm a grace preacher who travel around the world that transition churches from law to grace. Once a person comes into the revelation of grace, it looks like sin is featuring in his life. And then the legalistic people say, can you see these grace people? No, it was always there before he came to grace. But under the law, you hide your things under the table. Because under the law, you are afraid to bring your things on top of the table. Because if you are among legalistic people and your things are revealed, they're going to beat the daylights out of you. Because you know what the church are like. The church goes to you while you are out a sinner. And they say to you, Jesus loves you unconditionally. God loves you just the way you are. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. God loves you just the way you are. Just come like come to Jesus as you are and give your life to Jesus. Just give your life to Jesus and join those religious freaks and make a mistake while you are in the house. Then the very people that told you when you are out there, he loves you unconditionally. They will beat the daylight out of you with the Lord. The 
So then the notion is, it's better to be out there if I'm loved unconditionally than be amongst these hypocrites. If they're going to beat the daylights out of here, then it means that God loves me more when I was outside than now that I'm inside. You know, you know, religious people that are legalistic, if they open their own Hollywood, Hollywood will close down. The acting in the church who look, who look like they are pious with the piety and the way they dress and the long dresses. I always say the longer the dress, the more things can hide under the dress. The devil is a liar. <clears throat> okay, let me, let me, let me. Uh, I'm preaching so nice I'm losing my voice. Let, let me, let me get to my message. <clears throat> Put up for me Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to show you something. So stay with me. I'm going to deal now. Remember the Bible say the man was a foreigner. You remember that? And as a foreigner, he was called a foreigner because he was a Gentile. So if he's called a foreigner, then it means all of us at that time were foreigners. Right? Then it means that all of us at that time were far out. Because we had no access to God. Because we are not as privileged as the Jews who have the law. We give them credit for the things they have done. They are the ones who kept the Old Testament scriptures. They are the ones who received the gospel first. They are the ones through whom Jesus came. After all, my Savior is a Jew, but he didn't come to make me a Jew. He came to free me from the law of Judaism. And so now you find... That, that, that the whole thing of us being outcast, let me show it to you in scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, take me from verse 11. Are you still with me? Are you still with me? I want you to follow the scriptures with me because the scriptures are going to speak for itself now. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who is he talking to? That's us, who are called circumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, keep going, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. You and I were never part of the Mosaic covenant. That's why the Bible never calls us sons of Moses. He calls us sons of Abram. Look what he says now. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, like the leper, he has brought you near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we as Gentiles who are outcasts, who are far off, who are strangers, who are foreigners, Christ's blood has now taken us and he has crafted us into the vine where we are now becoming a people under a better covenant built on better promises. Keep going, keep going. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. Who's the both now? You must read it now because I've dealt, I've built the context here. Who is the both? The Jew and the Gentile. So what has he done with them? He has made the both one. So if both are one, there's no superiority anymore. Okay, stay with me. He says, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. 
Mexico is going to pay for the wall after all. Oh, sorry, I didn't say that. <laughs> Broken down the middle wall of separation. So what was the wall that separated Jew and Gentile? Keep going, keep going. He says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two. Thus making peace. So what was the demarcation between Jew and Gentile? The law. Because if there was no law, there could be no apartheid. If there was no law, there could be no segregation. If there was no law, there could be no demarcation. If there was no law, there could be no group areas act. If there was no law, there could be no separation. It's the law that separates. If the church will only preach the true gospel, there will be oneness of humanity. Because under grace, under grace, no one is superior or inferior to anyone. Under grace, the least amongst us is equal to us. Because under grace, I don't stand here based on my achievement, based on the churches I've planted, based on how, my, how big the congregation is. Under grace, I'm standing here solely on the basis of the foundation of Jesus Christ. Grace takes Jesus and put Jesus in the center and he becomes all in all and none of us feature under grace. So look what he says. It's clear, it's clear, it's clear. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And that he might reconcile them both. Who is the both? To God in one body through the cross. Thereby putting to death the enmity. Keep going. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. So he preached to the Gentile who were far. And he preached the same to the Jew who were far. Because he has made the two one. Keep going. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Who is the we? Jew and Gentile equally. Which means under the new covenant, the Jew is not supposed to be more blessed than you. You are supposed to be equally blessed as the Jew are blessed. The Jew must not be the only people who invent all these things that gives them billions of dollars overnight. The Jew cannot just dominate all the property here in Brooklyn and dominate the diamonds and the gold and dominate everything. The Jews cannot alone be blessed because I'm going to show you in a moment that we are equally sons of Abram. But you see, when your perception is wrong and you think that it is not part of what God has made available, you will settle just to buy, to, just, to, just to, 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 to go by. But if you know who you are in Christ, you go into the marketplace and you say that the blessings of the Lord make it rich and added no sorrows. You go into the marketplace and you say, my father will bless me beyond what I can ask, think or imagine. You go into the marketplace and you take dominion. We don't mind them to be blessed. We pray for their blessings in a whole night prayer meeting. But all of us struggle. It's what Christianity. And then why must you pray the whole night? Is God so stingy? <clears throat> I don't understand this. Travel the world. Bring me any white church who have a whole night prayer meeting. 
No white church. Only black people have whole night prayer meetings. Because they serve a different God than the white man. The white man just asks once and the white man receives it. But we must plead for 12 hours for God to give us something that he already gave it in Christ. It's your mentality. Because you have to ask God for 12 hours to give you something that is yours in Jesus Christ. That's your covenant right. White people always have a more father relationship with God. I said it before, I'm going to say it again. Because even when white folks pray, they don't pray like us. They pray sturdy. You know, when you sit in a circle with white people and they pray, you know, you, you will be disoriented. For me, as an African, the first time I went to a mission trip 1990 with 18 white people. Remember, we grew up in apartheid, so you never sit close to white people. And I'm among these white people, and I'm a fiery evangelist. The fire come out of my ears, my eyes, my nose. And I'm sitting with these white folks, and we're going to pray now. And the ones just say, oh, Lord, you are so great. Finish. Oh, Father, you are so beautiful. Oh, Lord, you are our supplier. Thank you that you've already done everything. Out and... Ah, ah, ah. You know, do you know why you need an all-night prayer meeting? It's because you, you think that you are going to get from God to call all God's old covenants names. Oh, Lord, you are Jehovah Jireh. You are Jehovah Nisi. You are Jehovah this. You are Jehovah that. He knows who he is. He's not confused about who he is. He is your father. He has given us the closest relationship with him. You can just say, Father, give me bread. And it's done. Can you imagine my son that he's 30 years of age? He comes into the house and he wants bread. And before he can get bread from me, he comes to me and say, Oh, you are a great apostle. Oh, you fly around the world. Oh, you've planted churches. Oh, you're a great man of God. Daddy, can I have bread? You know, even though the Bible says God never slumbers nor sleep, but sometimes God says, let me just go sleep on this one. Let them just waste their breath. Because, because, because the Jews never could relate to him as a father. Because if they don't believe he has a son, then he's not a father. Then he is a God who is out there, who they relate to it. But when Jesus come, he changed the order. He said, when you pray, you say, our father who art in heaven. How did Jesus pray? How did Jesus pray? The only time Jesus prayed in public was at Lazarus's grave. But the text even say he did it for the unbelievers standing there. But what did he say? He says, Father, I know that you always hear me. I think Jesus was half white, half black. <laughs> he prayed like a white man. <laughs> he, says, he says, I can imagine, you know, if it, I was in a white prayer meeting. Oh, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. But for the sake of these unbelievers, I ask. That's what Jesus said. Right? Then show me one place in the Bible where Jesus prayed for a sick person. He only took authority over the sickness. But we pray 12 hours for a sick person. Man. Now, now my Bible says the Lord never slumbers. No sleep. 
So why must both of us be awake? I mean, he can do a better job than me. Than me worrying the whole night what's going to happen. And tomorrow I got no strength. If he doesn't slumber no sleep, then let him take care of it. Because I need my sleep. Now, this is a proven fact. Show me one radio station, a Christian station. We have a white person on the station after 10 o'clock. See, everywhere the same. When it's time to sleep, they go sleep and we are up. And then tomorrow morning you must make five o'clock tea for the madam and she has slept the whole night and you were up the whole night. The devil is a liar. <laughs> okay, let me bring this baby home. Let, let, me, let, me, let me bring this baby home. Are you still with me? Are you still with me? Let me bring this baby home. Just, just put up for me. I just want to show you this very quickly. Before I go to my last portions that I want to read, just put up for me uh, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. I just want to show you something. I, I, I brought DVDs with me where, where, where they are, if there are four DVDs. I'm not trying to sell DVDs. If you buy it, if you can relieve me from it, I don't have to take it with me again. But there are four DVDs. If you listen to that four DVDs, you go straight to heaven. No, 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 no. You can just show the DVDs at heaven's gates and they will let you in. <laughs> it's a DVD that is called the splitting of the covenants. It's a DVD that is called righteousness and grace. It's a DVD that's called sin and grace. And it's the DVD that is called the confession of sin under the new covenant. It will liberate you. Because most of us struggle with sin because we focus on sin. It, it's, it's, it's absurd how we read the Bible. Okay, what must, you, what must a sinner do to be saved? What must he confess? You say confess and then you stop on me. Because you say confess. Now you want to say confess your sin. So show me in the Bible where it say to be saved you must confess your sin. So Romans chapter 9 verse 10 verse 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So you, 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 you receive Jesus and you get saved by confessing Jesus, not confessing your sin. So you confess the solution, not the problem. Because even, even other religions confess their sin. But why are they not saved? Because they haven't confessed Jesus. So let me put it this way to you. How is it that to be saved, you must confess Jesus. And to stay safe, you must confess your sin a hundred times a day. <laughs> because you are sin conscience and you are not righteousness conscience. Because you cannot change the problem from focusing on the problem. You must focus on the solution to be delivered from the problem. Christ is your deliverance. Christ is your life. Christ is your victory. You can struggle with something all your life. Just start focusing on Christ and see what happens. Because your sin is not your problem. It's Christ's problem. Because Christ paid for it already. So if you struggle with sin, your problem is not sin. Your problem is unbelief. Because did Christ already paid for it? Yes. Is it done on the cross? Yes. So why are you struggling with it? Because you don't believe in what he has done already. 
Okay, okay. Just, just put up, just put up uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I need to finish. 1 Corinthians 15. I think it's verse 31. It's a 31. I think it's 31. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. Okay? I just want you to see this. Well, I, I need to bring this baby home here because this is my key here. I'm having 1 Corinthians. No, no, no. It's not, it's not 31. What is it? It's 38. Let me see 38. I know the verse from my mind. How, how come I don't know the verse now? The sting of death is sin. What is it? It's in the 30s. Oh, no, 58. 58. 58. Uh, my, my, my daughter is 14. My, do- my youngest daughter is 14. As I said, because I'm emulating my father, Abram, right? So I've got a son of 30. I've got a daughter of 27. And I've got a 14-year-old. So if Abram did it, I can also did it. So... My daughter is 14 and she has never listened to a law message, never to a message of mixture. A month ago, she went, our youth went to visit another youth on a Friday night. And the pastor's son was preaching. So when her mom picks her up, she phoned me, she said, Daddy, I, I must speak to you. I must, something happen. I said, what's well, it, Daddy? I'll tell you now. She burst into my room when she got home. She said, Daddy, for tonight, I've listened to a law message for the first time in my life. She's 14. She says, Daddy, now I understand what you mean when you say law and grace. Because they actually helped me to understand the false from the real. The pastor's son was preaching on Joshua 1 verse 5. Uh, this book of the law shall not depart from out. Meditate day and night. You must observe to do. And he said to them, if you don't read your Bible every day, then God is no longer with you. Wow. Man, she, she was like an African-American woman like... <laughs> Because when you go work in a bank, you don't have to learn the fake notes to, to know it. You just work with the real. If you touch the fake, you know it. So a 14-year-old has listened for the first time to a law message in her life. Man, you grew up like that. I wish I was like that because the way, the way I grew up in the church, they beat the daylights out of me. every. I was in trouble every week. They put me under six-month silent discipline for going to a gospel show on a Sunday night and not being in church. Six-month discipline for going to a, not going to a drug show, to a gospel show. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So look what it says now. 56, what's it? 56. Is it 56? Okay, you guys got a Bible there. Look what it says. The sting of death is sin. What gives death power? Sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. So if you want to get rid of death, what must you get rid of? Sin. Look at the next line. And the strength or the power of sin is not in the law, is the law. (laughs) So if you want to get rid of sin, what must you get rid of? But what does the church do? The church says we must raise the standard. And when they say we must raise the standard of holiness, it means we must beat the daylight out of them with the law. Now, when you throw the law on the church, you will have revival. But not revival of holiness, revival of sin. Because Paul says this in the book of Romans. I was alive once apart from the law. The law came, sin revived in me, and I die. So the law brings revival, but revival of sin. Because the law was given to increase the trespass. 
So no law, no sin. I don't even want to go there because then they say I'm preaching heresy. Because if Jesus in, 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 in Colossians 2 verse 14, just to see what Jesus did with the law, okay? Then you can make your own analogy. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14. Colossians, Colossians 2 verse 14. The Bible say the written code with its ordinances, he has taken out of the way by nailing it to the cross. So what did Jesus do with the law? He took the law and he nailed the law to the cross. Then verse 15 says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So what did he disarm your enemy from? From the law. So if you take me to court, you can only find me guilty on the basis of the law you have in my hand. But if the enemy has no law in his hand, he cannot find me guilty. So if there is no law, there is no sin. You or any sinner out there can no longer be judged for their sin because that is double, double jeopardy because Jesus paid for everyone's sin, past, present, and future. The only thing that can take you into eternity without Christ is your faith. No one goes to hell on account of his sin. You only go to hell on account of your unbelief because your sin is paid for. Because if your sin is not paid for, he must come back and die for it again. But since he is the lamb that died once for all, he has already paid for everything. So God's problem with you is not sin. It's unbelief. But what, 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 what do you make the problem? Sin. So what is your focus? Sin. So what do you keep doing? The Bible say in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Awake to righteousness and stop sinning. You don't, you don't stop sinning when you're awake to sin. You're awake to righteousness. I, I said this before, let me say it again. Two men were sitting in church while the pastor was preaching about how men cheat on their wives. Right? So the two of them are sitting there and they are saying to each other, we're joining this church because the pastor gave us good tips how to cheat on our wives. <laughs> You don't free someone from sin by preaching sin to him. You free him from sin by preaching Christ to him. We have men who were pastors when they came into the revelation of grace. Come to us and say, I've been in an extra marital relationship for six years. But here I feel safe amongst you guys. I can put my cards on the table. Now, now that he come into the revelation of grace, he realized that grace can deal with his sin. The law cannot deal with your sin. The law will only leave you naked and leave you shameless. So the Bible say the more sin abound, The more grace abound. Let me read the last portion to give context. That you don't say he came all the way from Cape Town with a Bible written by a witch doctor and he tells us a lot of things that is not true. Okay. Go to Galatians chapter 3 for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it here. So stay with me. From verse 15. Galatians 3 from verse 15. I'm going to let the text speak for himself. Can you see how clear the text is? The text speaks for himself. Galatians, Gal Galatians, that's Colossians now. You must take me back to Galatians. G, G-A-L, Galatians, uh, the one you were previously in, okay? Take your time. Let's give, let's give, the, let's give our, our, our scripture man a hand. Amen? He's doing well. He's doing well. 
If you don't find the scriptures quick enough, God is no longer with you. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You know, you know, some churches, it's actually better to stay home than to go to church. You're more safe at home watching uh, um, um, Joseph Prince, Creflo Dollar, Andrew Womack than going to some churches. Because all they do is you get in there and you feel happy, upbeat. And when they finish with you, they beat the daylights out of you. You feel there's no hope for you. You feel bad. And then they also took all your money. So you even pay for the beating. And then they say, come back next Sunday. Bring more money for the beating next Sunday. It's only in church that we are so pathetic. You won't go to a show out there and someone openly insults you and come back. But in church, they can insult adults and they do nothing. They treat adults like children and they keep coming back. If I go to a show and they mock me at the show, I want my money back and I never come back again. In church, they can tell you the worst things and you come back with more money next week. Okay, can we read this? Can we read this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it here. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Right? Keep going. Now to Abram and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as one. And to your seed, who is Christ. Keep going. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later. Right? Now he's saying that the law was 430 years after the Abrahamic covenant. But he already tells you that when a covenant is established, it cannot be annulled. So he's already saying to you, the Abrahamic covenant was never annulled. It was only put on the shelf till faith comes. Look at the scripture. He says now, he says now, and now the covenant that was confirmed before God, look what he says, in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. Keep going. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abram by promise. Keep going. What purpose then does the law serve? He's asking a question. It was added because of the transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Keep going. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Keep going. Is the law then against the promise? Certainly not. For if there has been a law given which could give life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So now he's asking a question. Is the law against the promise? He says certainly not. Because the law could never do what the promise could do. So the law of Moses was not a replacement for the Abrahamic covenant. It was just the interim covenant to deal with Israel's unbelief. You will hear that on the splitting of the covenants. So look what he says now. Look what he says now. Is the law against the promise? He says, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Keep next verse, verse 22. He says, but the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The scripture has confined 
all understand. Who is the all? Jew and Gentile. That only through believing in Christ, you could come into the promise. Keep going, keep going. He says, but before faith came, we were kept under God by the law. Kept for the faith which would be afterward be revealed. Keep going. Look what he says. Therefore the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. Keep going. See what he says now. But after faith has come, we are no longer under. Or you can say we are no longer under the law. So you can say after faith has come, or you can even say after Christ has come, you are no longer under the law. Now the church says this all the time. We stand up on a Sunday and we say we are saved by grace, Ephesians chapter 2. And we are no longer under the law, we are under grace. And the next minute they take out the Ten Commandments and beat the daylights out of you. Schizophrenic Christianity. Today you're up, tomorrow you're down. Today you ask for prayer because you lost your salvation yesterday. How do you lose eternal life? If you have eternal life, you can't lose it. If you lose it, you never had it. What does eternal mean? So how do you lose eternal? <laughs> and then this is the other notion. When Christ saves you, Christ will keep you. You don't have to even keep yourself. Because the Bible says, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. He is able to keep you from falling. And to present you faultless before his presence. He says, but after faith has come, we are no longer under the law. Keep going, we're almost there. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are what? What are you? You're all sons of God. You're all sons of God. How are you sons of God? Through faith in Jesus Christ. How, how does the Jews operate currently? Still under the law. So we actually are more privileged. We're supposed to be the people that reflect the blessing of God in every way. He says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Keep going, keep going. Look what he says now. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ has put on Christ. Verse, verse 28, keep going, keep going. Verse 28, there is neither Jew so, so what is he talking about here? Jew and Gentile. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For we all are one in Christ Jesus. So in that context, how can the Jew today still be superior to me under the new covenant? Why must he be more blessed than me as a Christian? The next verse gives you the blow verse here. And if you are Christ, then you are Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise. That means that through Jesus Christ, Abram was justified by faith. Therefore, you are justified by faith. Abram was promised the world as his inheritance. Therefore, you are promised the world as your inheritance. The Christians are supposed to be the most blessed people on the face of the earth. So I declare and decree over hungry for God that you are blessed. You are favored. You have been declared righteous. You are holy. The blessing of the Lord that make it rich and added no sorrows rest upon your life. God will 
will open divine doors for you. God will give you favor. God will bring you before great men. God will give you inventions. Oh, I break every limitation from our mindset and I break every limitation from our belief system and I declare hungry for God. You are sons of God. You are sons of Abram. You are sons of the promise. You are heirs of the promise. You are blessed beyond what you can ask, think or imagine. And let me say this emphatically. God is about to bless you, not based on what you do or do not do, but based on your faith in Jesus Christ. And if he be Christ, then you are Abram's seed and heir according to the promise. I speak that the young people will create apps that will bring in hundreds of millions of dollars that will come to the church and to the believers. I declare the blessing of the Lord upon you. Come and give the Lord some praise in this house. Receive it tonight. Receive it tonight. We believe there's a transfer of blessing, a transfer of wealth. We believe that God will lift us out of our struggles. As I'm walking with my father, I expect my father to bless me unconditionally. I expect my father to bless me out of my socks. I, I expect my father to bless me beyond what I can ask, think or imagine. I declare that in Christ I am wealthy. In Christ I am healed. In Christ I am healthy. In Christ I am prosperous. You are blessed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that God wants to bring a supernatural release of wealth simply on the basis of our faith. Not based on our seeds we sow. We're going to give generously because we love God. We're not giving because we want from God. Because under grace we don't give to receive. Under grace we give because we have already received. Because the Bible says out of the abundance of His blessing, He has given us one blessing after another blessing. I am already blessed. You are already blessed. But God is gonna God is gonna show his goodness to you even while you don't deserve it. God is gonna bless you in such a way that you are that you are going to say, I don't deserve this. That's why he will bless you. Because you know you can't qualify for what God has done for you. Because Christ already qualified you. You will see the abundance of God breakthrough in your life and from tonight things that were difficult will become effortless things that were hard will be easy things that you struggle with you will walk in victory things that you try to do and it didn't work God will effortlessly in your rest bring that thing to the fore Father we bless you this concludes another life-changing teaching from Hungry for God Church for social media updates and more teachings from our pastors and leaders, please visit our site, h4gchurch.com.